So let me ask you a question. How do you like it when people tell you to be patient? How do you like it when people tell you to be patient? I don't know about you, but that's not really one of our most favorite things to hear. A lot of times when we hear that, we're like, ah, don't just save it. Maybe it's just some little thing that's gnawing at you. You, you, or you, you know how it goes. You ask someone the same thing to do something over and over and over again, and they just don't do it. And let's be honest, you, you want to be patient, you want to be godly, uh, but it just is, it's incredibly irritating. Maybe it happens at work and you lose your temper a little bit and you get called down to human resources and they say something to you like, well, listen now, you have to be patient and you, and you can't overreact. It's it's not a big deal. Try to remember that. Take a deep breath. And inside you're going, I'm going home 45 minutes late every night because this person won't do that. And you're telling me it's not a big deal. Well, you stay 45 minutes late every night and we'll see if it's a big deal to you. And many of us have been called down to human resources. I never have been because I was the owner of my company and I was human resources for, for quite a while. And um, how about just simple things that just really annoy you? Uh, people are just inconsiderate or, or rude. Maybe people are constantly forgetting things or things that are going on in your life. They just keep continuing and continuing and continuing. They are never, ever resolved. But maybe it's something big, something really big. And you think, I know, I'll talk to God about it. Surely he's going to agree with me on this. And the Lord joins the chorus and says, be patient with this too. Maybe you come to a point in your life when you just feel helpless. There's nothing that you can do. And the Lord says something like this to you, something I sense him saying to me quite often. Be patient, Jim, and keep right out in front of you. Remember who you serve and remember what the future will be. You know, the Lord's word for patient is not the same as the human resource department. Uh, human resource department says something like, well, you know, you can't get angry. You can't hurt the feelings of others. You can't make other people feel uncomfortable. But the Lord's word for patience is waiting with a calm expectancy. Waiting with a calm expectancy. You say, waiting for what? Waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the title of our message tonight is very simple. The Lord is coming be patient. The Lord is coming. Be patient. Uh, the return of the Lord Jesus as judge, the first time he came as Savior, is an interesting topic in the scriptures in Christianity. Uh, and it's a subject with many different facets, many different sides to it, many things for us to consider. Uh, perhaps my favorite thing about it is the, the second coming, and in terms of earth, the second coming and eternal life with God is so hopeful to me 
that it loads so much meaning into this life. In other words, knowing that things that are happening in this life will carry over into the next life puts even the littlest of things, um, it gives the littlest of things great meaning. Another thing that I find to be comforting is all of the injustices in the world. Uh, I'm glad the Lord says, listen, don't, don't be so upset about it. A day will come and all of the accounts will be settled. I will settle all of that stuff. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, glad that you're with us. So glad that you're with us. Please love to hear from you. Uh, or if you're just coming back to the faith. But for people who are not followers of Jesus, I understand how many of you could think that this life is it. I have to tell you, that thought is very depressing to me. To think, and, and not even so much depressing that it's, you, you know, you go in the ground and that's it. It's, if this life is it, the way we live our lives is really meaningless. That's what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. I mean, it's just like meaningless, vanity. Everything is like, what's the point if you're just going to die anyway? Now, when we go through this passage where we're going through now, James assumes that, that the people he's writing to or the Bible readers who would be us, he assumes that we know about the second coming of Jesus from the teachings of Jesus himself. Uh, uh, the crucified and risen Savior who ascended into heaven promised that he would be back. In other words... We are expecting, like the name of a great movie, the return of the king. We are expecting, followers of Jesus are expecting, Jesus ascended into heaven in a physical, resurrected body. We are expecting a personal and physical return of Jesus, a meeting of the king with his people. Now the scripture teaches... That, that as he is coming down, we will be going up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you're taking notes. And, and so there will be a transformation that happens in the process. And we will be made fully alive in Christ. That's something I'm really looking forward to. Being made fully alive. Now we're kind of like half dead, if you will. But I want to be fully alive. But that doesn't make us passive. And that's a very important point for us to remember. When we talk about being patient, and the scriptures talk about being patient, it is an active patience. And that's what we're going to talk about this week, an active patience. And next week, really part two of this message, is we're going to talk about a tenacious endurance. So tonight, active patience. Jesus clearly taught all of his followers, the ones he was speaking to when he was here on earth and all that would follow afterwards, that would include us, that we are all entrusted, all of us are entrusted with certain things in his absence. 
while we wait for his second coming. There's many things that all followers of Jesus have in common. We have uh, the grace of God. We have the word of God. We have the person and power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, helping us to live for Jesus. We have the gospel, the good news to share to the world that that God is alive and he wants to know you through the person of Jesus Christ. And, And he wants to Uh, forgive your sins and give you eternal life and make you fully alive in Jesus Christ. And all you need to do is put your trust in him. We all have those things. And Jesus will uh, talk with us in the next life about what we did with those common things that we all had. On the other hand, we also have special giftings from God that are unique to us, different ways in which we can serve God and we can serve the church and we can, we can serve the world. And again, same thing, Jesus will talk uh, to us in the next life what we did with those unique gifts that he gave us for uh, the kingdom of God, uh, for the people of the world, for for all of eternity. For example, I'm teaching you the Bible. God will hold me accountable, not for being the best Bible teacher in the world, but being the best that I could be. Uh, Putting in the time, doing the work, trying very hard, trying my best, trying to make sure that I'm accurate in in the delivery of of the Word of God. I know some of you think I just get up here and start talking. Uh, That's not the way it goes. In fact, if you want me to call you some uh, Wednesday morning at at 4.45 a.m., I'd be more than happy to talk with you and and let you know how I'm doing on the Wednesday night study, but I'm sure most of you don't don't really want to do that. Now, a lot of this thing about what we're going to do with what he gives us might sound negative, but it's not at all. The Lord is looking for... uh, ways to reward faithfulness of the people who love and serve him. So he wants to reward our faithfulness. Now, Jesus told parables, uh, a lot of different ways you could describe parables. Some people call them earthly stories with heavenly meanings, which is you know, pretty accurate. I don't know if that would be 100% the way to explain it, but we'll, we'll, we'll use that for now. And he talked about certain of his followers were what he called servants. And and servants of God will present to the Lord Jesus uh, the fruits of our service, the fruits of our effort of serving the kingdom of God. And, and But some people won't have anything to present to him. However, it's important to remember that the parables, a lot of times, often include people who claim to be servants of Jesus but clearly we're not. And so James, as he, as he begins to land the plane of this letter, wants to give us some parting words to make sure, he's been talking about a lot of different things, but to make sure that we are truly God's servants. So what Jesus has called us to, James does now in this section, Jesus often called us to live ready and expecting his return. And so James is now going to call us to live our lives ready. It's going to take him a few weeks, or it's going to take me a few weeks to to explain it. But he's calling us to live ready, expecting the Lord's return. That will hopefully produce in a committed follower of Jesus Christ a joyful hope. 
a joyful expectation, although that doesn't mean that a large, large part of our life will be, we will be engaged in fighting off despair or maybe even doubt. And so we have to, as we often say, we have to stop listening to ourselves so much and start preaching to ourselves more. Also, when we talk about the second coming of Jesus, we're not talking about here, and James is not talking about it at all, we're not talking about date-setting conspiracy theories. That's not what we're talking about at all. Rather, there's a deeper question than what date is he coming? The deeper question James wants us to answer is, are we ready for his coming? Are we ready for the second coming? And so if this idea of active patience sounds a little bit familiar to you, it's because James started the letter here. If we go back to chapter 1, uh, verse uh, 2 through 4, we begin with verse 2. He says, My brethren, some versions say uh, brothers and sisters, you know, the idea is, is fellow Christians. My brethren, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Okay, um, you know some versions say when you fall into all kinds or into into many. Okay, knowing or it could be because you because you know that the testing of your faith produces patience. Some versions say steadfastness. Others say perseverance. Others say endurance. Verse four. But let patience have its perfect work. Another verse says, let it have its full effect. Let it, let it accomplish everything it's supposed to, that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. So this is part of the process of what we call progressive sanctification. Well, what is progressive? It means that something is progressing along. What is sanctification? That is becoming more like Jesus. So it's not like you put your trust in Jesus and you immediately become like Jesus. We are progressively being sanctified. It is a process in which we are becoming more and more like him. So as James begins this long landing of his letter, once again, he is a great illustrator and he uses this, he talks about this idea of patience by using an example of a farmer. Verse 7, he says, James 5, verse 7, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. So having talked about the uh, oppressive rich people in the last section, remember those wealthy landowners that were cheating people, notice the command here. It's not a suggestion. It's not like, hey, this will make you a little bit happier. It's a command. He says, be patient. Now that is a very tall order in American life, isn't it? I mean, my goodness. People, people <laughs> I'm old enough to remember dial-up internet. But now if people, if they get one little spin thing or they don't, the internet's not working right, they, they completely freak out. Or if their phone's not working right or they're somewhere where there's no phone service, oh my goodness, what do I do? What do I do? And we do not do well uh, with patience in any situation, especially 
when there's any suffering involved. I mean, we just do not like to suffer. And notice James here is not like, well, be patient for the next hour or so. Be, you know, maybe two. Be, be, just be patient. It's going to happen like when you're waiting to eat in a restaurant and everybody's getting hangry. Well, we don't, I guess we don't have much of that going on right now, but people are getting hangry and cranky and, and all that. And everybody, be patient, be patient. You know, the person comes along, just another few minutes, just another few minutes. You're like, that's what you said 30 minutes ago. But that's not what this is here. He says, be patient when? Until the coming of the Lord. In other words, James is saying to us, God's people in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit, meaning with God's help, are to live a lifestyle of patience, a lifestyle of restraint. We might say, don't be overzealous in having to have your own way. Don't be overzealous in fighting for your own rights. Instead, if you want to fight a better fight, fight for your faith to survive. Now, he says here, for the coming of the Lord, there's a word that you might see sometimes when you're reading and you're like, I don't know what that word means. People pronounce it a, a few different ways. It's, it's the word parousia. And that means, simply means it describes, uh, originally it was a word that described the coming or arrival of a king or a dignitary. In other words, James is saying, be patient until the arrival of the king, until he gets here. So this is a calling to patience. It's not a calling to revolution because largely, now I'm not saying that there's not revolutions when there's extreme political oppression, but let me please put the emphasis on the word extreme extreme. Uh, because revolution, if we're not careful, loses the mission, loses the gospel of repentance and faith, loses the ability to share the love of Christ. It can happen. The Lord's coming is what will bring the revolution. The Lord's coming is what will bring the Lord's vengeance and not his impatient hot-tempered people. And so we have to be very, very careful of that. The second coming of Jesus will be a global cataclysmic event. That day will come, and knowing that day will come, looking forward to that day, to his blessed appearing, we can wait patiently. Did you hear what I said? We can wait patiently. So James reminds them how, how the uh, ancient world farmer does this. He, what happens is they would sow the seed in September or October, and then the reason they would do that was because in later October, November, what they called the early rains would come. That's at the at very end of verse 7. The early rains would come. And yet, and during that time, in between the early rains, the latter rains were in March and April, maybe even a little bit into May. But during that time, the farmer still works the land. He doesn't just plant the seed and go take a vacation and come, come back in the spring and hope that things are, are better. He works the land uh, for, a, for a follower of Yahweh, for a follower of Jesus. He, he prays and he trusts the Lord that the Lord will bring those latter rains 
Because if there's no latter rains, there's not going to be a crop. But no matter what the farmer does, no rain, no crop. Now, Old Testament Bible readers would hear this, and, and we know that James's audience is largely a Jewish audience that he's writing to at the time. We covered that at the beginning. They knew that rains were equal to the faithfulness of God. They, they, they knew that they were one and the same. I'll pick an Old Testament scripture, Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 14. The Lord says, And it shall be, if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine, and your oil. So, so God promises his people, if you love me, if you serve me, if you obey me, I will be faithful to show up. I will bring the rain and you will have an abundant harvest. Now, something interesting here in the choice of words, and sometimes the choice of words that the apostles, the Bible writers use, are, we have to really look at them very, very carefully. Um, the farmer waits for, look what he says here in verse 7, the precious fruit. Now, at our house, we have a fruit bowl. And maybe I'll have to start doing this. Hun, if you're watching, maybe I'll have to start doing this when you buy fruit. Maybe I'll have to walk up to the fruit and say, well, hun, I love you, but this fruit is so precious. We don't really think of fruit as being precious, do we? We think of a baby's being precious or something we have as being uh, precious, but, but not necessarily fruit. What does that mean? It means that the second coming of Jesus is particularly special and precious to James. Now, again, not weird precious. Not like Schmeagel in Lord of the Rings, like, my precious, not like that at all. No, no, the second coming, certainly something that James is telling us is absolutely worth waiting for. Even more, if the second coming is precious to us, we will wait well. If we keep that in mind, we keep that out in front of us, we will wait well and we will be engaged in active waiting. We will be engaged in the work of waiting. Now, that does not mean that waiting will always be easy. We're going to see in a little bit, it's not always easy in the church. But we've said this before, and I think it always bears repeating, there are not many things in life that are really, really worthwhile that are easy. And this is something that I would imagine that is hard for people who only grew up in the era of technology and cell phones. Everything is quick, just about. But if you ask a lot of people, what's the most important thing in your life? A lot of times they'll say, oh, my relationships, oh, my friendships, oh, my marriage. None of that stuff is quick, is it? All of it takes time. 
And so, so if we are looking forward to the second coming, while it might not be easy, we will wait well. Much of the Christian life is a waiting life. And, and the things that we are waiting for are often things that are designed by God to help us to grow, to help us in that progressive sanctification. It, it's a process. Nothing can hurry the reins. You mean you just can't be going out there and say, you know what, I really want to start my summer early. I'm going to go out in January and tell God, hey, make it rain. No, no, you, you, you can't do that. See, the point is, you can't hurry the rains and you can't hurry the second coming. Yet we are to work and to pray as we patiently, actively, and confidently wait for the Lord. Remember, waiting is, is, does not mean we do nothing. Waiting is what we do while we are waiting for the Lord to do what he does. For the farmer, it's what he does while he is waiting for the rains. But it's not just the rain. Again, it's the timing of the rain. And it's God's timing. And so far, the people who have been date setters on the return of Jesus are batting a thousand. They have been wrong 1,000% of the time. They have been wrong 100% of the time. Now, some of you know this already. If you're new to us, you don't know this. I do know when the Lord is coming back. I 100% lock solid in the bank, know when he's coming back. Right on time. That's when he's coming back. And that's all I really need to know. I'm actually quite comfortable with that, but that's about it. But I do know this. While we are waiting, we are to be busy with kingdom work, serving God's purposes until the second coming. Now, when we come to verse 8, it's really the application of verse 7. I want to read it twice. He says, You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So let's go a little slower. He says, you also be patient. Patient like what? Like the farmer. But let me ask you a question. Why do you think James is telling us to be patient? Because we tend to be impatient. Even people 2,000 years ago. Tended to be impatient. And who are we often the most impatient with? God. I mean, I know a lot of people that all they're talking about is just, just Jesus, come back. Jesus, come back. Jesus, come back. They're looking at their watch all the time like, what, where are you? Come on. Hurry it up. But the Lord has work for all of us to do here. So he says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. J.B. Phillips said, be patient. Resting your hearts on the, ultimately, on the ultimate certainty that the Lord's coming is very near. James tells us now, it's important that we are all actively waiting 
for the Lord. Patient? Absolutely. Lazy? Absolutely not. Not lazy at all. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus told a parable about a farmer that was waiting for his crop and he was working the fields and doing everything he had to do. And Jesus said, the farmer did not know how it grows. Back then, they didn't know how it grew. Yet, as you gardeners know, while you're waiting for, after you put the seed and you, and you water the ground, there, there is work to be done to, to keep the soil right. You're probably putting some sort of fertilizer or, or something on it to, to you know, help it to grow. And you're pulling the weeds. We might say in our own lives, as we're waiting for, for the crop to come up, if we want to talk about fertilizing, we want to talk about feeding ourselves uh, the Word of God, doing the spiritual disciplines, Word of God, prayer, fellowship, coming to church with other people, worshiping God. And, but we also want to be pulling the weeds in our lives. What are the weeds? Those are the sins that easily ensnare us, the sins that pull us away uh, from God. That active part, James says here in verse 8, is establishing your heart. Another version says it is strengthening your heart. Another version says it is standing firm. In other words, like we saw in the book of Ephesians, it is strengthening your inner man, your inner woman, so you can stand firm, unmoved by the troubles and the temptations of life. Or when you are moved, you are quick to bounce back. This is gaining strength for the journey of life. Again, many people would say the Lord could come back at any moment. I don't disagree with them. But people have been saying that for 2,000 years. We'll talk about that in a second. So we don't know how long we have, so we want to be strengthened on the inner man, the inner woman, developing our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. But in order to do that, we're going to have to have the right priorities. That doesn't mean you can never relax. It doesn't mean you can never have fun. But we need to have our priorities right. All of this happens through, again, the spiritual disciplines as we work, as we fight against doubt, distraction. As we do all of that, God provides growth. You might say this is a fixed heart. It is a determined heart, a persistency to stay faithful. That is, to me, that is an incredible word for today, that your heart, that my heart would be fixed, would be determined, would be relentlessly persistent, that we are going to stay faithful Today, not only are we not going to go backwards in our faith, which is happening to many people right now, we're actually going to turn up the volume. We're going to move forward in our faith. This is a call to a consistent faith and a consistent faithfulness, battling hard. It's a hard battle against our hearts that drift so easily from consistency to inconsistency. It takes a lot more work to be consistent than it does to be inconsistent, doesn't it? But we have to fight that battle. 
This is the opposite of what, um, of what James talked about earlier of being double-minded in, in chapter 1. Like the farmer is fixed on growth and on the harvest, we must be fixed on a sustained commitment to walking in the way of Jesus. Not walking with our hearts that so easily pull us to self-indulgence. I think when I think of the scriptures, one of the most, um, I, I guess uh, one of those verses that really lights my soul is Luke 9.51. It says this, Now it came to pass when the time had come for him, for Jesus, to be received up. His ministry is over. It's time for the cross, the resurrection, and ascension to heaven. That he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus had a personal resolve to do the will of God. He had a personal resolve to die on the cross in our place for our sins and nothing was going to stop him. The Apostle Paul wrote these words in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. When he says, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, another version says, giving yourself fully to the work of the Lord, busying yourself with the work of the Lord. Why? Knowing that your labor will not be in vain. Why? We talked about it earlier. That's the kind of thing that Jesus is looking forward to talk to you about, to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. So why should we do all this? Well, let's go back to verse 8. He tells us at the end of verse 8, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, some of your versions say the coming of the Lord is near. So, on the one hand, we have two things kind of going here. On the one hand, we have uh, the second coming, the coming of the Lord. But we also have a teaching about the kingdom of God, that it is at hand, that it is near. Jesus and the other apostles taught the same thing, which has led many people, Bible skeptics, to conclude that they were wrong. Let me explain to you why I disagree with them. James right now, his purpose, and you always have to look at the purpose of why a Bible writer is writing and saying what he's saying. His purpose is so followers of Jesus in times of trouble do not lose heart as they confidently wait for the Lord's return. So the, the Bible critics, this is kind of how their thing goes. They're really not so critical of the second coming. The reason they're not so critical of the second coming is that would require them to disprove Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven. Now, there are many people who don't believe that, 
but there are not that many people who have very, very good evidence in their attempts to prove that. But where the critics claim the Bible is wrong, that Jesus was wrong, that the apostles were wrong, including James were wrong, is the Lord's coming when it says it is at hand or it is near. Some people say that means that they were teaching it would happen in the first century. Now, if you believe in the doctrine of imminency, it means that we believe that the, that the Lord could come at any moment. And so believers all throughout history have believed that the Lord could come at any moment. But this verb is written in what we call the perfect tense. And it means that it is an ongoing result in the present. God is near in his time. He is close in his time. He is at hand in his time. Psalm 90 verse 4, Moses wrote these words, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. Another version says, like a few hours in the night. That's what a thousand years is like to God. Second Peter 3, 8 and 9. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. Another version says, don't let this escape you. <laughs> you got to remember this. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack. Doesn't mean that he's not saying the Lord's not a slacker. The Lord is not slow, or the Lord is not delaying concerning his promise, as some count slackness, as some count slowness. But why is the Lord near but not here, but is long suffering? Some verses say patient toward us. Why? not willing that any should perish, not willing that anyone should go to hell, but that all should come to repentance. This requires another reason, provides really another reason why we must strengthen our hearts, we must strengthen our inner man because of God's timing. At times, whether it's the second coming or fixing a situation or an answer to prayer, life can seem like an endless delay. But Jesus wants us to keep trusting, James wants us to keep trusting the Lord when the Lord's timing seems slow and serving even when the results are not what we want. Now, clearly, the last days began with the cross and resurrection, the ascension into heaven, and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. But they won't end until Jesus returns in glory. So for now, they are close and near. But the length of the last days is unknown.
Mark 13, 32, Jesus said, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So what should we do? Verse 33, Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. You don't know. None of us know. It is the next event in salvation history. So, so what does it mean for the people that Jesus is writing to? Well, it's, it's the same as it means to us to live as if the, the second coming could come at any time. The Lord being at hand or near is not the same as it will definitely be soon. It means at any time. Let me give you an example that happens to me, and my poor wife has to deal with this sometimes. Uh, sometimes someone will, will say to me, I, I really need to speak to you uh, urgently. And maybe it's a Sunday after church or very rarely on a Wednesday night, but, but a lot of times it's a Sunday after church. And so I'll say to them, I have to call one person on the way home. After I talk to them, I'll call you on the way home. So I'm driving home and I'm, I'm making pastoral calls on the way home and I pull up in front of my house. So I'm near to the house, but I'm still on the phone with the person. I'm at hand, if you will, but I'm not in the house. And so maybe one of my kids is over something like that and they'll go, you know, dad's in the driveway. When's he coming in? And, and Pam's like, well, he's probably on the phone. So dad's near, but we don't know when he's coming in. In the same way, the Lord is ready to come in whenever he wants. It's just not the right time yet. In other words, things right now are in place, and now we are just waiting on God's timing for the day of judgment and the day of salvation. And this... this We'll talk about this next week because God, we talked about it just in Peter, because God wants people to come to faith in him. That's why he is delaying. And how many of us, if he'd come five years ago, two years ago, one year ago, ten years ago, wouldn't have made it. And the fact that the Lord could come at any moment, that should affect our decisions regarding the entirety of our lives, including my non-Christian friend who's watching tonight or whenever you're watching, including turning to God and putting your trust in Jesus so you can have the forgiveness of sins, so you can be an adopted child of God, so you can go to heaven and live eternally with God. So in the meantime the people he's writing to in the churches and, and, and all of our, our churches that, that believe the, the Bible. Uh, how, how is the church to live in light of this as we worship and serve together? Look what he says, verse 9. Do not grumble against one another. Now, why in the world would he say that? I mean, does he really think that church people actually grumble? Does he think that church people might actually grumble against one another? He says, do not grumble against one another, brethren. Those are Christians. Lest you be condemned. What? 
Another version says, lest you be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. You know, so much of the church when it comes to the second coming is so consumed with the timing of the second coming they don't really realize that the idea of until the Lord comes, we're waiting until the Lord comes, actually connects our waiting to our purpose in life, into what we're doing. Followers of Jesus are to live in community with one another as if, now some people will say, as if, Today were the last day and Jesus were to come. I would even take it a step further. That we are to live in community with one another. Friends, this is why you need a church. Or you need to be involved in a, in a local group of uh, believers. Now we have lots of different ways that people can do it. You know, with the, with the pandemic and stuff like that. People are doing it online and, and in groups and stuff like that. But... But we are to be involved in community, in life on life, with one another, as if the day of Christ's return has already happened. In other words, we are now in a practice run for heaven. Grumbling, complaining, inner bitterness resentment is completely inconsistent with that. Completely inconsistent with that. Such behavior is the exact opposite of being joyful, thankful, hopeful, and loving. Grumbling, complaining, let's just call it what it is. It's sinful. Whining and complaining is the exact opposite of being like the patient farmer waiting on the Lord. You know, it's, it's no secret. We all know it. We all get it. It happens to all of us that people can be irritable. And people also, this is very common, like to blame their problems on, on the people they can there's some people you can't blame your problems on. You go into your boss, you blame all your problems on him, you, you might find yourself looking for a job. But often people blame their problems on people at church. You say, why would they blame their problems on people at church? The same reason they blame their problems on the people they're married to or on their family, because they can because they can do it and they can get away with it. And they can also have others join in. And if it doesn't work out, they go, we don't care about you. We're just going to the church down the street. Is that how you value the relationships you have with people in your church? That you're just going to zip down the street? I'll just zip down the street down to there. And then you'll do the same thing there. And then go over there. Go over there. That's not right. So you, you go, you grumble against the people you can get away with it, the people you can have others join in. But ultimately, you're really grumbling against God. Sadly, many people blame the church for the misery their sin and attitudes have produced. That's just someone who's deceived. 
If that's you, no wonder you're still fighting this misery. No wonder nothing's ever right. No wonder nothing's ever good enough because you're looking in the wrong place. Our poor relationship with God is revealed in our sinful speech. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you're impatient with God, you're going to, your mouth is going to betray your impatience. Now, this doesn't mean we don't get together to discuss issues. Now, it does mean we overlook a lot of little things. But it doesn't mean we don't get together to discuss issues. But it does mean we don't gossip and gripe. We go to the person that we want to speak to. The strange thing is that such people think that they are righteous, but they're really self-righteous and divisive. And James is hitting us right between the eyes as he's been doing this whole letter and saying this stuff is wrong. And what's really sad is people who are like this is how many followers they can get to come into their griping and to come into their complaining and to their grumbling world. They can get a lot of people to come into the world and just even worse than how many people they can get into get to come into that world is how quickly they can get them to come in. Somehow grumbling seems to be a cause that a lot of people love to get behind. You say, oh, come on, how serious could all of this be, Pastor Jim? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul is talking about the people who wandered the wilderness with Moses. And he says this, verse 7 through 11, And do not become idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, you're sitting there going, well, check, I'm not an idolater. Well, we might be able to debate that, but we'll give you that one. I'm not an idolater. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. That means they died. And you're like, well, not me. I, I'm not committing sexual immorality. Nor, nor let us tempt Christ. You're like, no, no, not me. As some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. You're like, not me at all. I'm doing good, Pastor Jim. He's not talking about me. Verse 10, nor complain. What? Did he just throw complainers in with idolaters, sexually immoral, and people who tempt Christ? He says, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all of these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Oh man. James' motivation is that we not grumble lest we be condemned because he says, behold, the judge is standing at the door. I mean, he's right there. Here's the door. He's right there. He's listening. He hears our grumbling. See, this is a mistake that so many people make. We make the mistake in believing that judgment, if we even believe in it, is far off. But he's at the door. He's near. He's at hand. 
You see, this is something I know we don't like to talk about, but the reality is this, that we are all just one heartbeat away, or lack of heartbeat away, from the judge. He's standing at the door. James is saying it is time to repent. It is time to change our ways. You, you say, but, but Pastor Jim, you're always telling us that followers of Jesus have the forgiveness of sins. Yes, but the scripture teaches. Now, theologians argue what the rewards will or will not be. But they don't argue that there will be an assessment. And the Lord will not praise such grumbling. The scriptures teach that followers of Jesus will not face God's wrath and judgment. Friend, that is why you need to put your trust in Jesus today. You do not want to face his wrath and his judgment. You say, well, how, how does that work? His wrath and his judgment was placed upon Jesus on the cross. That's why you ask people, uh, what, you know, can you tell me about Jesus? So many people tell you, oh, well, he died on the cross for our sins. Well, what does that mean? They go, oh, I don't know. I don't know. It means he died on the cross for your sins. He died on the cross for my sins. But we have to receive that by faith. We have to put our trust in Jesus so we're not going to face his wrath and his judgment, but there will be an assessment of our lives. He will not praise our grumbling. Instead, the impatient grumbling is against the Lord. How much better to keep our eyes of faith fixed on Jesus? How much better to be people of gratitude, people of love, people of grace. How much better to be ready for that door to open. And when Jesus opens that door, what does he see? He sees a uniter, not a divider. Because grumblers are dividers. The Lord is coming be patient. Stand firm. He is near. He is at the door. Wait well. Turn to God. Put your trust in Jesus and follow him. We'll talk more about this next week. But ultimately, this is what you want. When Jesus returns, you don't want to look at him and say, I didn't know you were coming back. You don't want to look at him and say, I didn't believe in you. You want to look at him and say, I am so glad you are here. It was worth every second of the wait. What a wonderful, wonderful day that will be. Well, let's pray.